We have a, um, a question we need to address. Yep. Why do people keep wanting to freeze Sherlock Holmes? I don't know. They keep wanting to freeze him and thaw him out and, like, nobody's... Sherlock Holmes is never allowed to die. Conan Doyle tried, and it didn't take. I... But since then, he's still not allowed to die, even uh, more than 100 years after his first story came out. You, you buy your Sherlock Holmes in bulk, and then you freeze part of it, and uh, <laughs> thaw it out later when you need to make another recipe. But, like, I don't know, but that's the thing. We were talking about how people, like, adapt Sherlock Holmes into different stories and times, and how we, we, love, we love it when they do that, but there's something weird about just trying to keep the same Sherlock Holmes and move him instead of trying to update Sherlock Holmes for you moved him too. It feels interesting because it gives Sherlock Holmes a fish out of water scenario where he's not as knowledgeable about the environment, which means that he ha- you get to watch him have to learn stuff again, which can be fun. But it also seems a little lazy because it means you can write him as ha ha Sherlock Holmes and he's always a little bit more characterized than ever when you do so. Yeah, he's very much, I guess, putting him in a different era lets you make him more of a caricature and get away with it. But in in some ways, it's doing what they kind of did in some of the Basil Rathbone movies, and yet they're more honest about it. They're not ignoring the fact that he's acting like a Victorian person in the 40s. No, they're just taking him out of the Victorian era and plopping him down somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And we watched two, by no means the only, but two examples of this uh, this week in, in rapid succession. In really rapid succession. <laughs> With, I would say, different levels of success on these. Yeah, these are, there are very different ways of approaching the same thing. One of these that we watched was the TV movie. It was an unsold pilot. Sherlock Holmes Returns. <sighs> And this was a 1987, I think it was, uh, TV movie. I'm double-checking that here. Yeah, The Return of Sherlock Holmes, 1987 TV movie. And, you know, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. Okay, if you take all of the Basil Rathbone movies, like every single one of them, you were to grind them down to a powder, mix it with water, get this liquid of whatever that was and play it through a centrifuge you're gonna get this thick kind of dark but very very excellent thing at the bottom of this tube that's gonna be the sherlock series this really cool adaptation whatever this light stuff that floats on top is whatever this movie was (laughs) this kind of weirdly fluffy and light version of moving him into a different era there was parts of it that reminded me of moonlighting in ways I wasn't ready for. Well, you know, 80s TV, it yeah, definitely was. But it was just odd. The mechanism for unfreezing him was honestly the coolest part, both <laughs> fitter, figuratively and literally. Just weird kind of setup. So this had Michael Pennington as Sherlock Holmes. And to his credit, he was doing a fine job and he was for a TV movie, but he was not playing a version of someone else's version of Sherlock Holmes. He was he was not doing a Basil Rathbone bit or anything else. He was playing the character of Sherlock Holmes from the stories, and I think doing a good job of it. Yeah, he was doing a good job. And it had Margaret Collin as Jane Watson, the great-great-granddaughter of Dr. John Watson, who is American and working in Boston as a private detective. 
And how does she end up meeting Sherlock Holmes? <laughs> He's frozen in the basement of the of the Watson estate. In a, <laughs> what I can what, this feels like a giant steampunk contraption of the highest order. Oh, it's very well done, steampunk. Very well done. This in, like I want to pull just that segment out because I feel like just that segment is a fun thing, and then the rest of the story is like this this odd. You know, circular blame game about a murder. I could barely follow the mystery in this one. I oh, I thought it was a pretty good mystery, and it had to do with corrupt police officers being involved with a also with with a a, a hijacking and a counterfeit job and using one crime to cover another crime. I thought it was a pretty clever mystery. Um. And as it really would have to be to carry a Sherlock Holmes story. But again, you're not really watching this for the mystery necessarily. You're watching for the characters, especially in a pilot like this. You're watching it for the setup and seeing these characters get to know one another. And that was all pretty charming and and fun and well done. As you say, a moonlighting, kind of lighthearted TV sort of way. And they, they definitely were doing a lot of setup to give it this environment of character. Yeah. Because they were making sure to introduce Watson and her assistant at the detective agency, their contact with the uh, the FBI. Yeah, they set up a a potential boyfriend person at the FBI. You can see, okay, this is, they're checking boxes as to what sort of characters they're going to need to develop future stories and character arcs. It ends on a group freeze frame. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. Of course it does. Of course it does. TV. But, I mean, that just kind of tells you the mode and the setup they're trying to give. It It's kind of fun that they show Sherlock Holmes being really good at what he's good at. And yet they show some of that failing him because he's not taking into account the way things have changed. Mm-hmm. He's observing things, but he's making assumptions that no longer apply. I'm not that tall, and I used a felt tip pen marker. (laughs) Figuring out, inferring who um, who wrote something and what their physicality was like, because he's assuming they're using a dip pen. (laughs) It's like, oh, we've got to we've got to catch you up on a lot of stuff. It's new TV. It's radio with pictures. What's radio? Oh, (laughs) like okay, but that's the thing. I was surprised we didn't get a Sherlock Holmes does the hits the library kind of moment. We get him looking for a book and such, but then they cut to him buying other stuff instead. Yeah, they I guess they didn't want to slow things down with that. And it was more fun to watch Watson try to teach him things than to watch him educate himself as he no doubt would have. Absolutely. It, it, I just wanted the cutaway to like, like, do you want another cup of tea? And it's just him surrounded by reference texts. <laughs> like, uh, like his chair is now made of them. Kind of like that moment because you put him in an environment. And this is a man who likes his information. He would devour every bit he could of what was going on to learn things. And in addition to him needing to learn about just modern life with telephones and radio and television and uh, cars. Um, he also, one of the defining characteristics of the original character, Sherlock Holmes, was his encyclopedic knowledge of crime. And here we've got Sherlock Holmes, who's 
more than 80 years, almost 90 years behind when it comes to his knowledge of crime. And as the nature of the world has changed, so has the nature of crime. And we see him recognizing that and working to fill in the gaps. But you're right, never with a concerted program of research or, or education. Maybe he'll go on to do that after they solve the initial mystery. The one thing we watch him really have to find out about is Watergate. Yes. Because they really make this like a point, but that's kind of part of why it works for when they brought him there. Because there's this level of uncertainty and distrust to the idea of a mind like Sherlock Holmes being available to parse things if you're no longer certain of some stuff that you thought was so set in one way or another before. It fits as a a time in which said uncertainty would draw a Sherlock Holmes-like character to it. Yeah, that that is interesting. I mean, that was not a super current reference when this movie was made, the Watergate bit. But but it kind of makes sense that so many characters were referencing it and that it would be of interest to Sherlock Holmes. So they get some some interesting humor out of him trying to figure out what this means and asking people to explain it. And there was a cover up involved in the mystery that they were uh that they were investigating. But one thing that strikes me about this, when I was a kid, when I was long before this movie, I have no idea why. But a little game I would like to play when I was just walking around or daydreaming or whatever. And and it might be because of movies like, um, was it Time After Time? There was a movie with H.G. Wells coming into the 1970s. I would play this little game of if somebody from 100 years ago showed up, how would I explain all the things I'm doing and all the things about my life in the 20th century to this person from 100 years ago? And that was such a fun game. Let's assume it was a very smart person from 100 years ago. How would I explain life to them? And here's a movie that shows all of that. And it was so cool. You mean the thing I do every single day in my own <laughs> life, too? Like, I'm not joking. Wait, oh. I do this exact same thing. I'm completely understanding you. It's you sit there and it's like, okay, how would I explain this to Thomas Jefferson? Like, what's going on? Like, are you? like I'm going to explain Pokemon to you. And you're going to hopefully understand this by the end. Like, I love doing but that. It's, it's so much fun funny. to break it down to say, okay, what would someone from 150 years ago already know if they're a smart and educated person? And how can I build upon that to get them to understand something that was barely comprehensible 150 years ago? Absolutely. And in some ways, <laughs> the reason why it's so great with the character of Sherlock Holmes, even if he's not an actual historical figure, is that he is a character who will always swing with whatever information you've given him. If you hand him, here's a bit of information about the world, he will tap on all of the rest of the information he knows now about the world and see how it clicks. He was always testing it. He's not going to passively learn the information. He's going to attempt to apply everything. And that makes him a more interesting character in this thought experiment to use because he is active in his, his knowledge in that sense. And that means that what you give him in what order is important because it is almost, it is almost easy to see Sherlock Holmes run in the wrong direction for a little while if you give him the information in the wrong right. order. Yep. And that is an important part. As a writer, it's a great thing because it means you can stretch a story, you can pad a story, you can mm -hmm. give him a, a red herring and let him run with it for a moment. 
in a thought experiment, it means you've got to become clever about what you say when to know what to do so that the model of this character doesn't derail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's terrific. And this is an exercise that I recommend to, to our listeners It's it because it's fun. And I think it's, it can be a good kind of exercise to learn about teaching as well. There's, there's something said often about explaining things to children and things like if you can't explain something to a 10-year-old, you probably don't understand it. Or if you can't explain your job to a nine-year-old, you might just be a scam artist. <laughs> uh, and those may very well be true, but there's also something to be said for how would you explain today to an educated person of a long time ago? It's fun. Oh, yeah. So this kind of gives us a chance to enjoy that vicariously, as Jane Watson, with varying degrees of success, tries to explain modern life to Sherlock Holmes, while at the same time trying to solve a murder mystery. In some ways, I'm sad this didn't get picked up. Seems like there's a lot of fun that could have been had. But I also worry that they would have run out of steam pretty fast. So maybe the fact that this is just a little time capsule of a concept instead of being a full fleshed out series that could run aground. Yeah, I mean, I could have seen maybe a few more movies, a few, a few more stories, but I don't know that it would have carried a season for very long. And this isn't the only time they've attempted to do that. In, in looking up this series, I discovered that there was another attempt to do pretty much the same thing less than 10 years later. Like in 1993 or 94, oh, wow. there was a series called, again, I think it was a pilot that was aired but never sold as a series, uh, 1994 Baker Street. And it's essentially Sherlock Holmes in modern-day San Francisco, with probably with a descendant of John Watson, although I'd, I've never seen that version. So I don't know the details or how successful it was, but it's, it's interesting that this was such a compelling idea that there were all these multiple versions of it. I think that'll just keep happening in some ways. It's yeah. the fast way to do this. We want more Sherlock Holmes, but we kind of live with the fact that this is going to be one of the ways <laughs> that it's done. And I think cryogenics and cryogenic preservation uh, was kind of more of a hot topic in the 80s and 90s, so that may have uh, helped fuel this. Makes more sense than other ways to bring him into the future. Yeah, and we saw one of those, didn't we? Oh, my goodness. And it wasn't just to bring him into his future. It no. was to bring him into our future. I I don't know why. I can't remember the name of this one. They should, they should mention it more often. <laughs> really? What was the next one we saw? Oh, goodness. Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd Century, from 1999, by Deke Entertainment. And they only mentioned the title about 47 times in the brief opening song, so... Uh, That's about the only lyric to the opening song. Well, that and yelling the words, back to life, a couple of times. <laughs> because this is the era of cartoon for kids, where it's like, you can't not be saying something all the time. This cannot be quiet. It must be loud and talking, or else we lose the kitty's attention. I never watched this. I, I am. A, I didn't grow up watching Saturday morning cartoons. I was off doing other stuff every Saturday morning, and I caught little bits here and there. 
I don't know what it was that they had before this show. But there was like, this was the start of the Deke block after whatever it is I watched. And then I was off to do stuff. And so I just caught the opening and that stuck in my head. It's just them saying this and me going, what? It was just frozen into my skull for this long. And so I've, this is the first time I've ever watched an episode and I'm regretting it. Because <laughs> what was that? This was a mess. Well, to, to kind of lay out the concept and stay with us here, it's about Sherlock Holmes, and he's in the 22nd century. Pretty much all you've got. Yeah. <laughs> they preserved him in honey. Some guy who apparently, according to the Wikipedia article, is supposed to look like uh, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh. Like, it's supposed to be based off of a, a photograph of him, is cool. what the scientist... Like, oh, the scientist who helps... Because they don't... He's technically not frozen. He died of old age and is being... And was then preserved in honey, as one did in the uh-huh. turn of the century. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, like, the great-great-granddaughter gr- of... The great-great-great-granddaughter of Lestrade... Like, like, just like, right. like, like, I'm having trouble with this, and I saw a guy. This guy kind of looks like Moriarty. Someone must have cloned Moriarty and brought him back. I know what it is. In case of Moriarty, break glass. Just go grab, <laughs> go grab the Sherlock Holmes we kept preserved in the basement. Just in case. Just in case. Find this guy who revives him, and now it's just Sherlock Holmes. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm in the future. Okay, like. I, I was just complaining about the fact that we didn't get the, the him reading books scene. We get that right here. He reads the books, and suddenly he knows how to drive a flying car better than Lestrade does. And says, like, nope, go, turn around. They're invading the server room. Instead of doing this, this is a wild goose chase. And I'm like, what is this show? And my goodness, you know, we sometimes comment about pacing in older things and how things, they're a little bit slow to develop. That is not the problem No, in Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century. It never slows down. And I think it's what you were saying earlier. They're afraid that if they're silent for a moment, the kids will fall asleep or tune away. So it's just line after line after line after line after line, and every single line is a dramatic turning plot point. I paused at 10 minutes in of 20-minute video just because we were spinning. We were... I mean, I thought I had too much coffee because this is moving so fast. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? But no, they're just trying to pack an entire high, high concept story into this uh, thing. They're trying to give us all the characters. I haven't even described their version of Watson yet, <laughs> which is a mess. Now he's the IBM uh, computer that helps predict the weather, right? Pretty much. Pretty much. Oh, they they t- they give a robot psychosis till it thinks it's a Victorian man, and that becomes Watson. <laughs> That's all this is. It's like tell the robot he's a guy, and until he figures it out, what's going on? Yeah. And then apparently, like, literally, they just go through and they do versions of all the stories. There's a five orange pips. <laughs> I don't know how much they go into it because there's some deep stuff in there. But this first one isn't even fitting any of those stories. It's really just maniacal Moriarty laughing and a whole lot of weirdness. Oh, and the, the justice system in the 22nd century 
involves we don't imprison criminals we reprogram their minds with a process called crypnosis which moriarty has figured out a way to block or hack or something and i'm thinking am i on moriarty's side <laughs> yeah. um am i I'm not really entirely 100% sure that I'm down with forcible electronic mind reprogramming, even for convicted criminals. I am stealing bits from this show <laughs> for my mothership horror sci-fi <laughs> RPG campaign, because my goodness, because this is weirdly dark for being a happy kids show it's like we've got face replicating technology and mind control we're the good guys <laughs> okay what i don't blame evil french man for reviving moriarty because this is a messed up world i mean the whole thing starts out with a very very violently devastating uh flying car chase that like destroys a bunch of public property it's like um yeah and um, and part of, of sparing every expense to make this is that all of the vehicle scenes are really cheap CGI. It's like, you know, reboot at a <laughs> less than a, a fifth of the, uh, less than a tenth of the budget. And that's, as far as the production values, that's probably the most jarring thing. It's one thing to have cheap animation. It's another thing to have cheap CGI. And it's a third thing entirely to zip back and forth between them. I'm kind of not as surprised because of Deke animation. Yeah. I mean, their stuff is varying in quality and content. At times, they were quick at what they did and efficient in that sense. But it results in this sort of mess. I'm terrified to say I might watch more of it. Just because it's enough of a trip that there's, like, a turn off your brain and go, whoa, at the colors I, kind of mode. I have to admit, I probably will, too. Okay! Just because, <laughs> especially, now that I know from you that they're, they actually do adapt Sherlock Holmes stories, I want to know, how are they going to adapt, you know, the five orange pips, for example, as you said, into a 25-minute cartoon? Then I realize how fast these things move, and thinking... <laughs> Yeah, they could probably adapt the sign of four into ten minutes if they needed to. I want to see their Hound of the Baskervilles. Are we going to get actual radioactive dogs? This is the future. Might, that might explain the glowing. I'm like, yes, we can do this. Uh, that would be great. <laughs> but it's just, you know, pound, pound a two liter of cola and turn this on. It's like, I'm going to relive the Saturdays I didn't have and see what happens. I think that's, that's going to be the place that this has for us going forward. I would not have expected this, so... Um, yeah, we don't have more, um... It's, it's the really sour thing they give you to reset your palate before you watch something else. It's just, I'm gonna watch this reset my brain for a sec. And I can definitely acknowledge that there's work that went into this. There are... There would have been easier things to do if somebody just wanted a cheap and easy cartoon to make. So somebody who worked on this really cared about Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. And my hope is that there are some kids out there who saw this, were captivated by some part of it, and that led them to go and read the Sherlock Holmes stories. That, that's my best-case scenario, and I'm, I'm hopeful that that has happened out there. Hopefully. But this was fun. This was I, fun. Uh, I, I did not know what to expect from Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd uh, century. 
and I'm still confused by what, what we found. And, uh, what? Weird idea. What if it's the same Sherlock Holmes across both of these? What if they cryo-froze Sherlock Holmes, they brought him back in a different time, and that's why they put him in honey, because they realized they couldn't cryo-freeze him twice. So, he, they thaw him out in 1987. He lives to a ripe old age into the early 21st century. Mm-hmm. Then they put him in a barrel of honey, and uh, they revive him in the 22nd century. Exactly. Explains why the honey coffin made so, was so much more technologically advanced than it needed to be, and why they'd assume to do that in the first place if they think they can't thaw him twice. That, that, that kind of works. I like that. I think the coffee is kicking in. <laughs> now, this, this does two things. This also makes me wonder, is there some crossover with Ted Baxter, if they actually froze Ted Baxter from Mary Tyler Moore the way they wanted to? Maybe. Who knows? There's a possibility they could meet someday. And the other is, if they froze him in, like, 1901, then they put him in honey sometime in the early 21st century. What do they put him in in the late 22nd century to preserve him for next time? Transporter pattern buffer. Oh, I like that. So, okay, I was going to say, how do we get him into the 25th century so we can have the crossover with uh, Buck Rogers? Oh, that works. Now, but if they're bringing him into the 23rd or 24th century, I think there might be other shows out there. That uh, that he could have a crossover with, <laughs> but it shows you Sherlock Holmes never dies, and some creators will not let him do so. But this was fun, and uh, and thank you again, Patreon supporters. We hope you uh, you enjoyed this. We appreciate your support. We appreciate your downloading this, and of course, we'll be back in the new year with all kinds of new stuff. I mean, Sherlock Holmes versus a McCloud. There can only be one. Okay. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes versus McCloud. We haven't talked about McCloud yet. We're going to have to. Yep. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's always Columbo. Oh, there's always Columbo. <laughs>